This story more than any other that we will study in this series, that we will tell in this series, uh, reminds us of the grace of God. It's quite beautiful. And so, uh, just to get you up to speed, last week, if you weren't here, if you haven't been around for these series, we talked about the Exodus. And that's the story from the Prince of Egypt, if you know the movie, where a guy named Moses is used by God to take all the Jewish people out of Egypt where they were slaves. And in that movie, The Prince of Egypt, it's a great ending because they go through the Red Sea, God parts it, they walk out, and they're in the wilderness, and everything is exciting and happy, and then the movie ends. But the truth is, the people are still out in a desert, a wilderness, right? And they're standing there thinking, what do we do next? And I'm going to make a really long story that you can read in the book of Exodus really short for you right now. So they're there and they're camping. They're hanging out. They're thinking that was cool. And then God says, I'm going to meet you on a mountain. He shows up in fire, says, hey, Moses, come up here, get the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up. They build a calf. They start worshiping this golden calf. And Moses comes down. He breaks the tablets because he's angry. And then God says, I'm not going to kill him, but come back up here get some more ten commandments he comes down and they got the ten commandments and then they send spies into the land that god has promised them to find out if they can conquer it if they're strong enough if they're powerful enough and they send 12 of them 10 of the spies come back and say those guys are huge that's a big army there's no way we can fight them let's just hang out here in the desert and two spies a guy named joshua and a guy named caleb they say we can do it let's conquer them And God gets upset and he says, how dare these other people say that we can't do it? And and the people, they want to stone Joshua and Caleb for saying that they could conquer the land. And God doesn't like that. And so he says to them, look, your whole generation, minus Joshua and Caleb, everybody that's out here in this desert will die in this desert. Except for those two guys and your descendants will take the land that I have promised. Okay, so now... Fast forward, I just fast forwarded you. That's as fast as I can talk and be intelligible. And so now we're caught up to speed and Joshua has taken over because Moses has died. And he is like the kind of ruler, the guy in charge of the Israelites underneath God. He is God's spokesperson for these people. And God says, hey, Moses is dead. It is time for you and all the people are dead. It's time for you to take over the land. Joshua says, okay, and this is what we read at the beginning of Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Okay, so here's the deal. These people are encamped at a place called Shittim. Uh, forgive my language. And I know you were already thinking it. And, and, and they're camping out there. And God says, you're going to take over the people. But there's a river in between, the Jordan River. Okay, and here you can see a map of it. They are only about 10 miles east of the Jordan River and 15 miles east of Jericho. Okay, and so that's important to what we're going to see in, in the rest of this story. They're not very far away. And so these spies go from Shittim to Jericho and they end up in the house of a, notice the word, prostitute named Rahab. Now, Rahab is the main character of this story. And if you were to look at Hebrews 11, which we are taking our stories out of, in the New Testament, a book called Hebrews, chapter 11, we see that it lists all of these great people of faith. 
And we are looking at their stories in this series. Rahab is one of two women that show up in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. Now, here's, here's just the crazy thing about that, that she is listed amongst all these great people of faith. Rahab was a woman. It's the first thing she has going against her. Now, you're like, oh, what did he just say? Being a woman is not bad, but being a woman in that culture was not a good thing because men look down on the women way more than we can ever imagine in our current culture today. This was a famous statement of Jewish people around the time. Thank God for not making me a Samaritan or a woman. The sexism of the time was rampant. And so to be a woman was to be lesser. And we know that that's not true today. We know that Jesus and Paul really helped elevate the place of women in Scripture. We can read about that and they moved them forward. And you look at Christianity today and it treats women much better than almost any other religion in the world. But the Jewish people at the time of Rahab saw women as less than. They were just not as good as men. They didn't have positions of power. They didn't have positions of honor. They were not treated well. They really were there to to have babies, hopefully a son. And they were there to take care of the house stuff. And nobody respected them very much. Here's the other thing Rahab has going against her. She lives in this city called Jericho. And Jericho is full of a bunch of people who are not Jewish. They are what we call Gentiles. And if you know about the Jewish people, especially if you go way back in Jewish history, they looked at everybody who was not a Jew as just less than them. It was like the men looked at the women, but all the people looked at non-Jewish people and they said, look, you're not one of the people of God. You're not one of the blessed people. You're not one of us. And so you're not really part of the party that is the kingdom of God. When you look at the New Testament, you see that the Jewish people that Jesus talks to are like, you know what? doesn't really matter about what you think about our spiritual lives because guess what? We're Jewish people. And you look at the history of the church and what took place and basically what you see is that a lot of the books in the New Testament are partly written because a guy named Paul is traveling around and he's preaching to non-Jewish people and the Jewish people in Jerusalem are angry that these people are not becoming Jews in essence. Like, hey, you're not living up to our standard of ethics. You're not following our cultural customs. You're not doing the things that we do as Jews. And so you can't be as good of a Christian because you're not like, us. You see, to not be a Jew for a Jewish person was just to be less than. It was to not be a a respectable human being. Rahab was that. The other thing that Rahab has going against her, and this one makes the most sense to us, is that Rahab was a prostitute. Uh, It says in the Old Testament, the actual, you can literally translate it as innkeeper, but when you flip to the New Testament and it talks about this same woman, she was a prostitute. She was a person who offered services to men for money. And, and it's easy when you read a story to like not let that sink in, but just let that sink in for a second because we're here thousands of years later telling her story. And when these spies meet her, when they spend the night at her house, she is a prostitute. Now, here is the other thing that she has going against her that's a little less obvious. The word Rahab means breath, and and it actually is a Hebrew word that they they began to use as being arrogant or prideful um, or or to possess, possess rage. 
So it's like a bad word, right, to the name Rahab. And, and even worse is they started to use it for their enemies. Like the Egyptian people in that story, they, they become known as like Rahab, the country of Egypt, because they're trying to say that they don't like it and it's arrogant and it's evil and all of those things. And another thing about it is that it became a reference to a sea monster. Listen to Job twenty six twelve. By his power, he churned up the sea. By his wisdom, he cut Rahab to pieces. Rahab was basically this. The word that meant this, you may have seen it on your internet browser this week, but, but to refer to Rahab was to refer to that sick thing right there. That is sick. I don't know why they picked it up or whose idea it was to like, hey, let's get it. You know, I mean, that is disgusting, but that's what Rahab meant. And so picture just her as a person. She is a woman. She is a Gentile. She is a prostitute. And they look at her and they're like, your name's a cuss word. I mean, that's like, you're like the low of low. I mean, I can't believe your parents named you that. They must not have loved you very much. And this is the person of Rahab, and it's important to our story that we understand her. And so, this is what happens. The spies come into town. They go to Rahab's house. The king hears about this. He's probably not thinking that Rahab is is committing treason in any kind of way because the truth is travelers in the town of Jericho probably went to Rahab's house a lot given her profession. And so the king, probably in innocence, thinking that she's doing her job, sends two messengers to her house. He says, hey, make sure you go there and you say, we know that the spies came here. They're from the Israelite nation. Bring them out. And the spies go and they say, hey, we heard that two guys came to your house. You need to know this about them. They're from that, that nation just 15 miles away that's planning on destroying us in a little bit. And so will you send them out of your house? And Rahab, knowing that God is God, having faith that the spies can save her more than her own king for whatever reason, does not tell the truth. She says, hey, you're right, they came here. But they left as the city gate was closing. And then in one of those kind of, I don't know, again, every time we tell one of these stories, I think there's a funny line. But she says, hey, if you hurry really fast, then you can catch up to them. Just kind of a, like, just her presence of mind in that moment is really awesome to me, you know. Like, if I'm telling a lie to the king of my country, I'm scared. And I'm not saying any extra word. Oh, I think that they're over there. You know, but Rahab's like in her moment right here. And she's like, yeah, they left. They were here. Go. Hurry up. And try to catch them. And then we read really the most important part of this whole story. The, just Some of the most powerful words in the Bible. Some of the most powerful words of faith uh, that we've ever seen recorded in, in the history of the world. And even in the history of Christianity. And this is, this is what we see in Joshua 2, 8 through 13. I'll read it in its entirety. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. 
Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Now there's two statements here that are just so important for our understanding of why Rahab is such an awesome picture of faith. The first, I'll read it again. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. Now remember, the Jews are about 15 miles away from this city. Uh, There are 40,000 fighting men, the Bible tells us. Right, and so they they're looking and they're they're scared. But but the cool part about this is, Rahab understands something that the Jewish men warriors, not prostitutes, failed to understand as they were hanging out in the desert, that the signs of God that He had done through the Red Sea primarily were good enough to show that God had the power to help them conquer the land. I mean, think about those ten spies and and all the people who died out in the desert. They were like, no, we can't do it. Even though they had seen the Red Sea parted. And now we encounter this woman named Rahab, who's a prostitute, a Gentile, who's living in Jericho, had not seen the Red Sea part. And she says, you know what, I heard about it. I didn't actually see it, but I heard about it. And if your God really is that awesome and that powerful, and it seems like he is, then he is very well capable of letting you conquer our city. You see, Rahab's faith is incredible because, first of all, she doesn't need to see what all those people in the desert had seen. She just heard about it and was able to say, you know what, I believe it. And since God is that powerful, I know that you guys that your country, that your fighting men will destroy us despite our great walls, despite our armies. It doesn't matter because your God is that powerful. The other thing that's really important, it's, it's one of the coolest statements of faith in the Bible. Again, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. You see, Jericho is a city that worships many gods. They are a city that would have had gods all over the place. And Rahab, this woman who had grown up there, grown up with gods all around her, who had been taught her whole life that that there's lots of gods that you can choose to worship, she, on the basis of very little, just hearing about what God had done at the Red Sea and about how powerful the Israelite army had become, is able to, to cut through all of the fallacies that she had heard in her life and say, Wow, it doesn't matter what I've heard. It doesn't matter what our priests say. It doesn't matter what our king says. It's obvious because of the evidence that the truth is that your God, Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, the Christian God, is the God of heaven and the God of earth. He is the only real and true God. I mean, what an amazing thing. This woman doesn't need to see anything. And not only does she not need to see things, but on her limited evidence, she comes to a wonderful, amazing conclusion. And I look around our world today, and there's lots of people who have way more evidence of the existence of God and the power of God. I mean, look at the church and how expansive it is. God did that, and they look at it, and they say, whatever. doesn't matter to me. The evidence isn't good enough. If God would just come and talk to me and speak to me, then maybe I might start believing. But when you look at the story of Rahab, 
And the statements that she makes, she heard very little. God parted a Red Sea. They won a couple battles. And she says, yeah, that doesn't just happen. That's miraculous. And their God must be real. Their God is the God of the universe. The men respond to her request for safety, for life, for her and her family. And they say, our lives for your lives. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. Next you read that Rahab is letting them down through her window out of the wall. And maybe if you go home and you read the story afterwards, you're preparing for your connect group. Maybe this was already one of your questions and now I'm answering it. And, and But you go, well, how is it possible for her to let them down out of her window and all of a sudden they're outside of the wall and they're escaping? And, and here's the deal. Jericho had two walls actually. They had an outer wall and an inner wall. And because space was limited within their city, they actually built some houses in between those walls. And so Rahab has a very strategic position for getting rid of spies. I bet she didn't build her house thinking that. But she's able to lower them outside of her window and it actually takes them out of the city. And before they go, she offers them some instructions. She says, hey, when you leave here, go out into the hills, wait three days until the guys I sent chasing you come back to town and then go back to your home. And they say to her, look, our deal that will save your life only matters if you do three things. First of all, if you tie a scarlet cord in your window. Second of all, if her family and everybody she wants to be saved is in her house. And third of all, she couldn't tell on them. Those are their stipulations. Seems pretty simple to me, right? And so she says, I'll do that. And the, the spies escape and they do what she does. And they, they swim back across the river or they ford it in some ways. And they tell Joshua what has taken place. And Joshua says, in a story that we will cover next week, God has given us this land. What we see after that is the, the Israelites come. And long story short, they, they take the city and they... Allow Rahab and all that are in her house to live. It's an absolutely incredible story that this woman Rahab has such a prominent role in the history of the faith that we subscribe to. So much, so, so I've alluded to it, but let me read Hebrews 11.31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I mean, think about this. Woman, Gentile, prostitute, name is basically a swear word, and there she is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, listed right alongside of Abraham, listed right alongside of David, listed right alongside all of the great people of faith that the world has ever known. Here's what one author said. Only two women are personally named in Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, and Rahab, the, the harlot of Jericho. Sarah was a godly woman, the wife of the founder of the Hebrew race, and God used her dedicated body to bring Isaac into the world. But Rahab was an ungodly Gentile who worshipped pagan gods and sold their body for money. Humanly speaking, Sarah and Rahab had nothing in common. But from the divine viewpoint, Sarah and Rahab shared the most important thing in life. They both had exercised saving faith in the true and living God. James 2, 14 through 16 is another crazy passage that talks about Rahab. Let me read it to you here in its entirety. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? 
In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was our father Abraham not considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Crazy, right? I mean, James is like, let me explain faith to you. First of all, faith is something that actually does something, right? I mean, faith has to have work behind it or it's not real. Then he gives these two examples, Abraham. Everybody listen and ask, like, sure, Abraham, yeah, I mean, he's like the father of many nations, and he's like the beginning of the Israelite nation. Of course, that guy, I mean, he's a picture of faith. He is the picture of faith, and we've already talked about that story. But then James, I think he can hear in his head just these arguments, like, and this is the argument we make, right, when it comes to our faith. Well, of course, I mean, Abraham's like in the Bible and stuff. He's awesome, and there's no way I can live up to that expectation. And so then James says, oh yeah, there's this other example. This woman, this prostitute, this Gentile, she also is a great picture of faith because she believed that God was so strong and powerful that she made a decision to do something great for the glory of God. It's not just Abraham who's a picture of faith, it's also Rahab. And then one more thing, I mean, she's in the the hall of faith as they call it and and she's the picture of, of faith and what that looks like in our lives in the book of James. And then, you know, this last part is a little bit debated, but 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 I'm it's important for us to at least examine. Matthew 1, 5 and 6 says Sam and the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of the king David. And that's important because of this, that's part of the genealogy of Jesus. So now we look in the beginning of Matthew and we see not only was Rahab awesome because she saved spies and because she comes like this picture of amazing faith, but Rahab is awesome because she may have been like the great, 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 great grandma of Jesus himself. That's how much God loved her. That's how much God thought she was awesome. And this is, this is what you need to know. There's two things that you need to know. The first thing, and I'm going to grab something that I left down here. The first thing that you need to know is that it doesn't take it doesn't take a perfect person in order to do mighty things for God. Rahab was not a perfect person, but she was a person who had genuine faith that God was great and God was big and so she decided Despite the fact that her circumstances said, just give up the spies. You can be a hero in your land. The king will love you. Maybe you won't have to be a prostitute anymore. She looked at what God had done and she said, look, this is the deal. I believe that that God is more powerful to save me than all the people of my land. And so she did something absolutely incredible for God and for his people. And she's listed in the New Testament because she was so amazing in her faith. And so the first thing that you need to hear and understand is that, that you don't have to be perfect. 
I mean, God is not like, hey, once you figure it out, then I want to use you. And in this whole series, my goal is just to get you to say, like, I'm going to do something awesome for God. I'm going to stop making excuses. I'm going to stop waiting. I'm going to stop pretending I'm not good enough. And in the person of Rahab, we just tear down that last excuse. If nobody was not good enough, given kind of cultural norms and, and things that you needed to be good at and pure in, then it was Rahab. But yet, because of her simple faith and obedience, God used her in the most profound ways, really, to, to move his people into his promised land and as a picture of faith for all of us thousands of years later. And so no matter if, you, if you're like, well, if God knew the sins that I have committed, if God knew the things that I have done wrong, if God knew, you know, these inadequacies that I have, how not good I am at that thing that he's calling me to do, then if he really knew me deep down in my soul and the things I think sometimes and the things I say and how, how just mean I can be, then there's no way God would use a somebody like me. But you're lying to yourself because God used a woman Gentile prostitute to bring his people into the promised land and to be a picture of faith forevermore. There's something else that, that I, I just need you to, to hear as, as, as we go from here. And There's two words in the promise that the, the spies make to Rahab. She says, hey, save my life. And they say, our life for your life. And they use these two words for what they're promising to her. And, and they say, we'll offer you these two Hebrew words because you've done this for us. But we know that ultimately it was God who saved Rahab, right? And ultimately God who used Rahab. And so these two words, in my mind, come from the spies, but they are actually God speaking into Rahab's life. And, and they're two words that we need to understand and we need to have in the forefront of our minds. And, and here's the first one. The first one is a Hebrew word, uh, hesed. And this word means kindness, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, love, acts of kindness, faithfulness. If you want to read the word hesed over and over and over again, it appears 26 times in Psalm 136. And it's, it's the most beautiful word in all of Hebrew because it means pretty much everything good. I mean, take like your favorite word, like if you, if you like the word love in the English language and you like the word grace and you like the word forgiveness and you like the word kindness and you like the word mercy and then just make them one word, you really want that to come into your life, right? I mean, that's a really good thing. And this is the word that we use and it's most often used in the Old Testament as God's covenantial love for the people of Israel based on his character. And so God throughout the Old Testament says to the Jewish people, hey, I hesed you. And the people know it's not because of what we've done. It's because God has decided based on who he is and how gracious and merciful and awesome he is. He's decided to have that type of relationship with us. The other word is emet. It looks like emeth, but it's emet. And it's Faithful, right, true, and it's usually or frequently, excuse me, connected to loving kindness, the word that we just looked at, and it's sometimes connected to peace, justice, and righteousness. It's God's standard. It means to be treated right. And, and here's what I want you to hear just today. In the person of Rahab, we see this wonderful picture of faith, right? And in our minds, we think, I will love to have that faith, but... Right? I mean, don't we? I mean, like, I would love to do something great for God. And I, I think he's powerful and he's awesome and he can really accomplish something through me. But. And in these two words, I think whatever is put after that but no longer applies. 
Because what we see in Rahab is that her faith leads to God saying, I'm going to give you my loving kindness. I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my acts of kindness. I'm going to bless you because of the relationship that we have. And I'm going to treat you right. I'm going to do right by you. I'm going to, I'm going to make it so that you are, are, have a life that is up to God's standard for your life. And what I, what I need you to hear, what I want you to hear this morning is that in God's loving kindness, in God's rightness, His faithfulness, all excuses for not fulfilling the call of God on your life have to disappear. I mean, if you really believe, if you really believe that God is bigger and God more than anybody else can bring this loving kindness and this faithfulness into your life, then it means that you need to make radical decisions to serve Him. That's just the truth of it. I mean, it's easy for us to kind of play with the idea of doing something great for God. But at the end of the day, we sit around and say, well, if I do that, you know, then people are going to get mad at me. If I do that and it doesn't work, then I'm going to be embarrassed. If I do that, then it just it may not be comfortable for me. But the truth is, none of that matters when we are faced with God's loving kindness, His hesed, and, and His faithfulness, His emet. And, and so what you need to know this morning is that God is looking at you and saying, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you've done, I want you to come into a loving relationship with me. Place your faith in me because I am greater and bigger than anything else that you can place your faith in. He's saying, I want you to give me your life because I came to earth and died on a cross so that you could be saved. Give me yourself, but don't just give me a little bit of yourself. Give me all of you because I want to use you in profound ways. I want to use you. I mean, if he wants to use this woman Gentile prostitute whose name is a swear word living in a city named Jericho that really wasn't that important after this, then he definitely wants to use you who's sitting in front of me today listening to this sermon. And so you need to know this. This is the trade you have to make. This is the trade that Rahab made. She put a scarlet cord on her door, on her window, excuse me, chose not to tell on these spies because this is what she said in her mind, and this is what you have to decide. My strength is not as good as the love and the faithfulness of God in my life. My ability to solve this situation and save my own life is not as good as God's grace and faithfulness in my life. My king is not as powerful and as great as God's love, grace, and faithfulness in my life. Our walls are not big enough and strong enough to live up to God's grace and faithfulness in my life. And this is, this is look, you can make all the excuses. I don't come from the right family. It's just cut down in Rahab. I mean, I think that happens. So I think there's a lot of people, a lot of, maybe some people sitting right here, that are like, well, Chad, you come from a nice Christian home, and so you're supposed to be up there pastoring and doing cool things for God. But if you knew my background, nope, Rahab's background was no good. And there's some of you that are like, well, I'm not respected enough in this culture because of, you know, who I am. And hopefully that's not because you're a, a woman today. Hopefully we've come far enough for that. But because of something else. Maybe you just don't fit the mold to do great things for God in your head. Nope. Neither did Rahab. And then and there's some of you, there's definitely some of you who are like, if God knows what I've done, that one sin, the thing you're thinking about right now, that thing that you just can't get over and there's something inside you that still bothers you about it, and you're like, if God really knew that, no, this is a prostitute we're talking about that God wanted to use. Her sin did not matter when she chose to place her faith in God. 
So what you need to know is that God's hesed and God's image are far better than anything that, that you might get hurt by, by putting yourself out there to, to worship and serve God in whatever way He has called you to worship and serve Him. And when Rahab took that scarlet cord and she put it on her window, what she declared was, I believe my God is worth serving more than myself, more than my sins can keep me from doing, more than my king, more than what it might cost me, because I believe that his loving kindness, his faithfulness are far better and far greater, and they will overshadow and overcome any of those excuses that I have. And what I ask for you this morning is that you be a person. This is what I'm hoping for you. In the story of Rahab, you will look at it and you'll say, I can be a person that puts down the excuses. And I cling to God's hesed and image and I do what he's asked me to do because I know that those things are greater and more important to my life than anything else. Will you pray with me? Lord, I ask that you would... God, I just, I, I just think that so many people, Christians, God, are they're just caught in not serving you. I mean, they, Lord, they, they, they've given in to the lies and the excuses, and they think that they're not good enough, or that they're not the right person, or that they don't have the right skills, or whatever it might be, and and it's holding them back, Lord, and. And it's holding your kingdom back and it's holding our church back because of that. And So Lord, the people that sit in front of me today, I just pray that in this story of this, this awesome woman named Rahab that we're excited to meet someday in heaven, that, that Lord, you would tear down their excuses because she had every reason to say, I can't be used by God, it just isn't going to work. And yet she had faith because she knew that you were bigger and stronger and she, she understood that your loving kindness and your faithfulness was more important to her than the safety that her king or those walls could offer, God. And I pray that each of us who are here right now, Lord, would, would come to that understanding in our lives. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't sit around waiting like, well, if God gives me a big sign, but Lord, we would, we would look at, at what we have already heard about you. And Lord, like Rahab, who knew about the parting of the Red Sea and decided that, that you were the God of heaven and the God of earth, we would say, hey, I've heard about what God has done and that is good enough for me and so I will do whatever he has asked me to do. Lord, just I want to see people in our church not live average, but live lives that, that are powerful, that increase your kingdom, that glorify you they can't help but be seen by the people around because they're so magnificent lord and it only happens when we decide to place our faith in what we've heard about you and what we've already seen in you lord to decide that you are the only solution to our lives that your love that your graciousness that your faithfulness is more important than anything we might not have anything that that we have done failed to do lord any sins that we've committed it's just bigger and better than that lord and so i pray that that would drive us lord let us never think like i'm good enough to do this but let us always remember how awesome you are lord i i believe that people are listening god that 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 aren't christians and and they think well i'm not i haven't come from the right 
background or I have too much sin or I'm not the right type of person that God will love. And just pray that you'd move in their hearts this morning in very real ways. And they would decide that you were worth serving. And Lord, maybe they don't understand it all. Rahab surely didn't. But Lord, I still, I just pray that they would say, I I don't know it, but I want to give my life to God. I want to offer Him myself because He has the only good answers to the problems that I face and to the sin that I feel and to the inadequacies that I see within my own soul. We love You, Lord. We thank You for caring about us. Despite us, we thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you for coming to earth to die for us. We thank you for your your graciousness, your hesed, Lord. God, and we just worship you for it. In your name, amen.